Welcome to the All the Books show recorded at the David A. Howe Public Library. We talk book news, author news, and literary news. I'm Eric Michaels. I'm Nick Gunning. Today... This is our fourth, like the fourth thing that we sometimes say. Yeah. We say author news, literary news, and book news. And... But then we have a fourth thing that we only bring out sometimes. Special. Go ahead. Author interviews. That's right. Today we're talking to best-selling author Susan Wiggs. Mm-hmm. Susan Wiggs is a Harvard-educated former teacher and an international best-selling award-winning author with mm-hmm. millions of copies of her books in print in numerous countries and languages. Yeah. According to Publishers Weekly, Wiggs writes with refreshing, honest emotion, and the Salem Statesman Journal adds that she is one of our best observers of stories of the heart who knows how to capture emotion on virtually every page of every book. Hmm. Booklist characterizes her books as real and true and unforgettable. Hmm. Her novels have appeared in the number one spot on the New York Times bestseller list and have captured readers' hearts around the globe. In 2020, Susan Wiggs will be releasing her newest novel, The Lost and Found Bookshop. Oh, good. Are you excited about National Library Week? Always am. Have you got your National Library Week cards out yet? Yes. Do you, yeah. now, do you guys do, or do you open your National Library Week presents on National Library Week's Eve or National Library Week's Day? Uh, one present for every day. During the whole week. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, that's nice. So five presents okay. over the week. Well, that's fun. Yeah. This year, we'd partnered with the Olean Public Library to host Susan Wiggs for a special visit to the area in honor of National Library Week. Unfortunately, due to the global health concerns, we have to postpone the event, but we're planning to reschedule as soon as we're able. But luckily, we can still, still do got Skype. The interview. We can still do Skype. Yeah. So she was still able to join us for a special interview here yeah. on the All the Books show. And uh, let's get into it now. <laughs> Author Spotlight. Susan, thanks so much for joining us today. I uh, hope you're doing well over where you are. We're going just a little bit crazy here. Oh, I can imagine. Oh, my God. Yeah, see, nothing much changes for me and my day-to-day work. I've got to be home alone anyway, but oh, my gosh. It's a different world than when we first set up our, our library meeting. I know. That was like, I know. I agree. I mean, it's been, the plans have been in the works for so long. Here it is, National Library Week, and uh, you know, we were we were hoping to be doing this in person. But I, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us over the phone, anyway. I know. Well, yeah. Thank you. I hope things are getting better out your way. I keep hearing little glimmers of hope here and there out here on the West Coast. Yeah. New York City's certainly taking a pounding. I mean, I think we're far enough away from that that, you know, it's it's difficult, but we're not seeing nearly the, the problems that, you know, these major metropolitan areas are seeing. Yeah. Well, a lot of people, especially people out here, don't really have much of a concept of New York State. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> They're always surprised. You know, they read the, the books that I wrote with my, you know, upstate New York setting, and they're always very surprised you know, that it seems there's small towns and little antique villages and yep. farming and, and wilderness areas, and they're a little mystified by that. <laughs> you live in a beautiful area. Are you in Wellsville or Olean? Wellsville, yeah. My library's in Wellsville, and uh, the Olean Public Library is just uh, about 45 minutes away. I used to go to Wellsville to take a cello lesson when I was little, because I, I um, when I was very little, I got pretty good at cello, but the only teacher was a violinist, and so she was like, no, my... I'm kind of tapped out. You need an actual cellist, and and we found one in Wellsville, and I think I did that for maybe a year, and then we moved overseas. Okay. That was was the end of that. So about how long were you in this area? 
Um, I was born in Olean mm-hmm. and um, in, you know, kind of was there in the 60s. And then in 1970, we moved to Brussels, Belgium, overseas for my dad's job. Oh, wow. It worked for, um, it was Clark Brothers and then it was Dresser. And, you know, went through a lot of different iterations. Oh, sure. Home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, um, and I think he did work in Wellsville. Or, no, he worked in Corning on something. But, no, we, we moved overseas when I was about 10 and never, you know, never came back. Okay. So it kind of gave me a, a very nostalgic feeling about that area because I didn't have to deal with the snow and the traffic mm. and all that. I just had this kind of magical childhood running around and yeah. going sledding and enjoying the lakes and the state parks and everything. And so I have very fond remembrances of that area. Sure. Well, libraries, so, yeah, I mean, I just lived at the library. Yeah. I mean, it yeah, seems was, like with, with Lakeshore Chronicles and all that, that it's certainly uh, the time you were here left a pretty lasting impact. It did. It did. I kind of borrowed from that and embellished that and made this very, very idyllic, fake town, but every <laughs> once in a while I'll hear from a reader and they'll say, how did you come up with this name? Or, you know, have you really been to Tonawanda? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, things like that. But um, it's always really fun to hear from people who I connect with because I feel so connected to that area. Sure. And it's weird that I feel connected to it because I was really only there as a very little kid. But my parent, my mom went to only a high school my dad's from a real, even smaller town called Portville. Oh, sure. I know Portville, yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And my mom went to Geneseo State, and her best friend, they're still best friends, even though they're 90 now, um, her best friend was a librarian in Brockport. Oh, really? At, yeah, I think at the college there. Is there a college there? Yeah. Maybe the mm-hmm. college is in Rochester. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, her best friend was Anna O'Toole was the librarian there. And so I feel like they have, you know, their roots there. And, and so I just feel really connected to that area. So when I decided that I wanted to write a series, you know, the, the sky's the limit when you make these decisions. But I really wanted to feel like I was part of the landscape there. So it was a sure. real natural choice for me. And then with my more recent book, I actually changed imprints at my publisher. My publisher's HarperCollins. Mm-hmm. And for a really long time, I was writing for the Mira imprint, which was um, a subsidiary of Harlequin Books. And they were always very romantic books. I don't, th- I, I wouldn't call them just genre romance novels, although I wrote, you know, my share of those, but, um, <laughs> you know, my more recent ones were just more, um, you know, commercial fiction. But when I moved over to the William Morrow imprint and um, to a new editor, we decided I would focus on these single title books. Mm-hmm. And that's been so exciting for me, too, because I feel like I get to reinvent the wheel every time I sit down to write. Yeah. You were saying you were a pretty avid library user as a kid. Oh, totally. Oh, I lived it. <laughs> I remember um, overloading. I had a, a bicycle with a big wire basket in the front, and I remember overloading it so much that I like lost control of steering when I would try to ride at home. And the library that I used was um, walking and biking distance. It was, I, I think it's still a restaurant or a bed and breakfast yeah. for the old library. Yeah, it's still there, yeah. That big old gothic building. <laughs> yeah. And, and the, um, the library in my Lakeshore Chronicles books is, uh, is directly, you know, patterned after that. I just, I remember the atrium and oh, the beautiful sure. marble 
their days and mm-hmm. all that. And so I'm, I was I was actually quite keen to get back there and, and poke around and, you know, have a look around there. But it looks like maybe I'm going to, uh, we're going to, try to take this up again in the fall that would be great yeah yeah well i think i think the the views would be even better for you in the fall the leaves changing and everything i know i might even have to bring my husband he's never been been to new york city a lot he's a designer but never to upstate so he's very intrigued by by that area but yeah i was a library patron i i still remember my first library card (laughs) pink cardboard with the metal plate the librarians were just so they were so good to me. They 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 always uh, library. I, well, you know this as a library. Are you a librarian? Yeah, I'm library director. Yep. There's a fine balance between being a safe, nurturing place for people to read anything they want and steering people towards things that are you know that, that you want them exposed to. And mm-hmm. the, the librarians there were just always amazing. Well, they're still pretty good. Michelle Lavoie, who's the director there now, uh, we worked together in Wellsville for a while, and, and now she's over in Olean. So we, uh, we, we've been having a good time collaborating on this project together. But yeah, it's still uh, still a great place. I always thought I would be a librarian. Yeah. And um, my my goal when I was really little was to, to be a high school helper. Okay. I don't know if you used that, but um, yeah, the high school girls would, would go there and, and check out books and wheel the cart around, and mm-hmm. I was very impressed by that and that was, that was a big goal of mine <laughs> okay. never, we ended up moving away and so I never did get to do that but um, everywhere I've lived in my life usually my first stop is at the library Smart. I, I moved to Bainbridge Island Washington gosh it's been almost 30 years now the first thing that I did when I arrived in town is I went straight to the library got my card and I thought they'd be all impressed with me here on the island because I was by that time I was a published author and I said oh I'm a published author and they said oh well here's our directory of published authors <laughs> oh wow there's like 40 of us that's exciting <laughs> a, yeah to be a, a place that's popular among writers I like guess so well it's very rural and small town out yeah. here but it, but we're just a ferry ride away from mm-hmm. downtown Seattle so it's kind of a pretty ideal place to feel like you're away from it all but mm-hmm. you're, you can get city and you know a 45 minute ferry ride yeah in uh, in 2019 the american library association conference was in seattle and i went to that it was my first time in washington state uh, and i had a great time you know we, we went all around exploring and of course we did the space needle and the pop culture museum and all that so yeah beautiful area well the, the ferries that you see from the downtown they're either going to Bainbridge Island, where I live, or another town called Bremerton. So okay. You probably saw our ferry. I guess so, yeah. Very, very picturesque, especially in the summer. Yeah, so, but I, no, I've always, the library has always been, I guess it's because my mom had three kids in the middle of three, close in age, mm. and she was always more than happy to, you know, shoo us out the door and send us up to the library. But it's always been a place where I go for business or pleasure now, sure. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, before the internet, I, I usually, I, I probably spent probably a third of my writing time in the library physically because it was all at my fingertips. You know, now with the internet, I, I can, you know, I can access a lot more from home, but it didn't used to be that way. Yeah. So it's always been, um, it's always been like 
the most important community resource for sure. No, I couldn't agree more. So it sounds like you were you were a pretty early reader, uh, just just devouring things quickly. Were you also an early writer? When when did you get into that? I absolutely was. In fact, thanks to my mom, who was who was a very good mom, I would tell her stories and she would write them down. Oh, nice. You know, I was, yeah, yeah. I would say, now write this down. <laughs> And she saved a few. I have like some scribbles and everything. In fact, I was I was thinking if I did a PowerPoint for you guys, I could I could show you a couple samples that she saved. They're kind of silly, but it gives you a glimpse into somebody's mind. He, um, I don't think I ever had a concept that that I wasn't a writer. You know, even mm-hmm. before I knew how to write, I would I would tell stories. I would tell lies. I would. <laughs> <laughs> I had a really great, great third grade teacher in Olean. She taught at, it was back before the schools had names. So she taught at school 11 and her name was Mrs. Green, Marjorie Green. And she recognized that I was definitely, you know, on the early side of reading and mm-hmm, writing. And mm-hmm. so she kind of sent me off by myself and said, well, you should read these books and you should write books. And I, indeed I did. You yeah. Know, I just really under her. Well, it sounds like you had a great teacher. Yeah, I had that teacher that you wish every kid would have. Mm-hmm. I mean, she she had the that gift of looking at a kid and seeing what they need and seeing what would help them and mentor them the most. And so, and, and in fact, she, you know, I, I probably thought she was ancient when she was my teacher, but um, <laughs> after I was an adult and publishing books, um, every once in a while I'd get a note from her. <laughs> oh really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, um, yeah, she would read. She was retired, you know, yeah, by then, and sure. read my books. And I still could recognize that Palmer method handwriting <laughs> that I, I would see from her. But yeah, I, you know, I feel like that whole area is just part of my blood and bone as a writer and a storyteller and a reader too. Yeah, it's going to be very exciting when I when I finally get to visit everybody in person. Yeah. Now you said you said that you you always have felt like a writer, but I'm curious. Was there a moment when it sort of snapped into your head? That, oh wow, you know I, I'm doing this. This is this is my career. This is my life. Was there a, was there a special moment like that? Um, yeah, there was actually. That, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I always wrote, but I also was quite realistic. I always knew that you know people don't pay you to be a aspiring writer, right? And so I got a teaching degree, and I got my master's in teaching too. And and um, I was teaching. And I had finished, you know, a couple of novels and got a phone call from an editor. You know, I didn't know the first thing about how you even get public. You sure, know, yeah. it, <laughs> it wasn't, it's not as accessible. You know, that was like 1987 when my first book came out. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there wasn't a roadmap like you can find online now to getting published. And so pretty mystified by the whole process, but I did figure out how to send my book manuscript in. It was typed, you know, yeah. 500 pages. <laughs> and I got a call from an editor and she just, the words came out of her mouth. She said, we like your book and we'd like to publish it. Wow. And so, yeah, 1987. So it's been, you know, 30 something years now, 32 years, 33 years. And I was a very young mom and school teacher and, um, you know, just barely scraping by and I certainly did not, you know, get rich overnight, right. but it was so, um, 
it was so addictive to me. It, I, I went to it not like a job, but more like a calling. And so it didn't matter if I had to, you know, teach all day and take care of my daughter the rest of the time um, yeah. and then stay up past midnight writing. It just was something that I felt really called to do. And um, I started out writing historical romance novels. Um, you know, back in the 80s, they were wildly popular oh, yes. readers. Yeah. I loved reading them, too. I mean, they got me through graduate school. Yeah. Um, that was I was very drawn to that, and you know, eventually kind of um, morphed into more commercial general fiction. But um, yeah, that was my roots, and um, it was yeah. I never, I, I never really, I, I never really considered not. Yeah, you know, and people ask me now, um, you know, when are you going to retire? And I think, well, what would I do when I retire? <laughs> right. Would, like, write my novel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what a lot of people want to do. <laughs> but I have to say, and I would say this to your group, you know, when we meet, one of the things that I think is so compelling about writing is you can come to it at any stage, you know, of your life. I, I meet people who start out, you know, as writers practically out of the room like I did, but then I also meet people who are, you know, older people or in the middle of their lives and they are struck by some inspiration or yeah. some compulsion that makes them want to write. And so, and I love that because there's not any rule for that. Mm -hmm. None at all. You know, you can pick up your pen and write anytime. And I think it's because everybody is a storyteller. Not everybody's a writer, but we kind of live our lives around stories. Yeah. Whether we publish them or Absolutely. Not. You know, how, how do you balance keeping the joy uh, of writing versus, you know, it feeling like work? Because I'm sure there are times, because I know it's hard work. Yeah, that's a great question, because there are a lot of things, um, there are a lot of pieces to writing that's, that are not writing at all, yeah. you know? Um, I, I like people to think of me as like sitting and, you know, gazing out the window and then being inspired and writing this lovely story, but in fact, there is a lot of... Um, heavy lift, lifting that goes into sure. it. Yeah, you know, one of the challenging things is I'm like deep in the middle of writing the first draft of a book that won't be out until summer 2021. Wow. But I'm obsessed with the story and the characters and everything. But I've, I just finished The Lost and Found Bookshop, which will be out in the summer. And I'm having to talk about that and write articles about that and do promotion and publicity on that, which I'm happy to do, but it, it kind of pulls you in different directions. Yeah. So um, well, I, I what I usually try to do is I try to keep my writing time in the first half of the day yeah. and then give myself permission to say, okay, switch gears. You mm -hmm. can, you know, do, go do your social media and your email and all your businessy things. Mm -hmm. But, um, but, the joy never leaves of creating, even when even when I have writer's block. I know that when I have writer's block, I'm just stuck. Yeah. And the thing that usually rescues me is I just go read a book. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody else's book. <laughs> well, I just I picture that being so challenging because you, I mean you're essentially forced to be creative on a clock. I oh, totally. I just totally. think I just think it, that'd be yeah. really difficult. It, it can be. It can be, and I I, I do have to be. Yeah, I'm. I'm very much oversimplifying and making it sound a lot simpler than it is. There are times when, um, you know, I can, it feels like I'm passing a kidney stone or something. It's like, oh my God, I can't get one more word out. And so um, a lot of, but a lot of that is just 
timing. And for me, I take about a year to write a book. Okay. And that includes like my thinking time and my talking to my editor time and all of that. But I would say at least two thirds of that year is not writing. It's doing Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that that brings up another question that I have for you here, because you're saying, you know, the time you spend writing it is about a year, even even now you're, you know, over a year away from when it comes out. And the question I have is reading the Oysterville Sewing Circle, which uh, our book club has just finished. Well, actually, we're, we're wrapping it up now. That is such a, a topical book. And yet, you know, yeah, to, yeah, you know, and, um, several years ago. It, yeah. It wasn't. And, but while I was writing it. Started developing and gathering steam, and it was very strange because I, you know, at first I felt like I was really digging to find information and to yeah. figure out what I could present on the page and is this even believable and everything. And by the time I was, you know, a few months into the writing of the book, it kind of started exploding. Yeah. One of the things that I did, I thought that I would be very challenged by trying to find information directly from women who have dealt with um, domestic abuse and things like that. And they just, oh my gosh, they came. Yeah, I did not have to push very hard at all to to get people to level with me about that sort of thing. Yeah, it was like things started pouring out of people at a crazy pace. And I was, I, on the one hand, I was I was gratified, but on the other hand, I think, God, how long have people been carrying these things around, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and and not having that outlet? And so it was very compelling to me to, to open my email. You know, I protected, of course, everybody's identity. Sure. But I got to know certain women really well, and they're not directly represented in the book, but bits and pieces of their experiences are. And I think it made the book seem very layered and enriched by real experiences. And then I have to say, after I published it, it's even now, I mean, it's out in paperback now, um, I hear a lot of feedback, mm-hmm. uh, probably more than any book that I've ever written. You always get some reader feedback when a book comes out, but this one, it's almost like they want to talk to me, you know, which I want them to. It's very distracting, but (laughs) um, yeah, they they feel like it validates them. You know, it's not going to solve their problem or change their life or something like that, but it definitely validates their experience. And so that was a unanticipated consequence of that particular book. And I, I felt very gratified by it, but also, you know, um, you know, I I hear some troubling things, which, you know, I'm happy to listen to, but I wish that I had a, you know, more capability to solve them. I can just tell stories and hope for the best. Well, the thing is that what, what I, what I was so intrigued about it is that it, it feels, it feels like it was written as a reaction to what, what's going on. It feels like it's addressing something that, that suddenly is so, uh, but but it's actually coming out before it, and that's you know it, it's not like powerful men taking advantage of women is is something new, you know what I mean? I mean that's oh, that's that's biblical, you know. I mean that goes back to the dawn of time. And again, unanticipated, you know, nobody thought that was going to start happening, and yeah. suddenly it's all in our face. Yeah. Have you felt like the the response has been pretty positive to that? Like it, it seems to me like it, it it's it's really adding to the conversation and is encouraging. Uh, discussions of yeah. these kinds of things. 
You know, I did have a conversation with my my um, editor and my literary agent, and I said, you know, I don't want to feel like I'm writing to exploit the lived experiences of women. Right. And I said, I don't want the book to come off like that. Mm-hmm. And so they were very reassuring, and they said, no, it doesn't feel like that sort of thing where, you know, I scrambled to write something to take advantage of the attention that this is getting. But instead, you know, it's a book that just felt like it was of the moment, as mm-hmm. certain books are. You know, right now, I, I, I see a lot of people feeling drawn to the pandemic books. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what would be? Yep, yep. <laughs> I heard, uh, I heard that, did you hear the interview with him on, on Fresh Air with Terry Gross? Max Brooks? No, no, I haven't. Oh, I didn't even know. He's um, Mel Brooks's son. Yeah. I didn't even know that. Yeah, we did that book for our Halloween book club last year, so we, we okay, talked all about okay. it. Yeah. Okay, well, he has some really, really smart, insightful things to say about yeah. why in his book he chose China to be where his fictional virus originated. I don't know, it was a really smart interview. I enjoyed it a mm-hmm. lot. And I'm seeing book lists come out saying, here are the pandemic books. And I remember having to read the plague. I actually read it in French because after we lived in Belgium, then we moved to France. And when I was in high school, I read the plague in French. Oh, wow. It was actually a more, I think it was more of a war novel, but people are coming out with their plague lists. And so I'm wondering... <laughs> you know, who's who was in the middle of writing a pandemic book when the pandemic <laughs> happened and how yeah. is that gonna change and shape their their experience writing the book? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So visions about Oysterville because here I am with probably uh, you know, a, not a finished first an almost finished first draft and then all the reports started coming out and part of me wanted to close off and still keep writing the vision in my head, but the other part was like, No, I need to listen to this yeah. and see, you know, what the world is saying about this situation. So if I was right yeah, if I was writing a pandemic book I probably would would be like even more glued to the news than I am. Yeah. No, Did you get like at the library a run on um, on contagion books? You know, we didn't really, but I mean, we we had to close just like we had to close so quickly and unexpectedly that I don't think people really even had a chance. Yeah. But oh. you know, you, you do see it. You do see like pandemic movies trending, uh, you know, on all the uh, streaming services and all that. So, yeah. so which so can your patrons um, like download things? Oh or yeah. Virtually. Yeah, we have we have yeah. a pretty extensive um, online collection through the the Libby app is what it's called ebooks, audiobooks, music. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that and when we have seen a, a pretty large increase uh, since we've been since we've been closed down, so we've been doing a lot to direct people towards that so that people uh, you know people don't miss out on that. And I can tell you, we do have Oysterville Sewing Circle both in ebook and audiobook out there. So if our listeners want to find it, that's where it's at. Oh, that's good. Well, thank you for making that available. God, the library is such a lifesaver. And I think particularly with this topic, um, you know, libraries are so, they seem to me to be such a safe and respectful place mm-hmm. for readers yeah. that it feels like a good fit, you know, to for somebody who's, if they're actually dealing with that, you know, the library is a good haven for yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. Now, I, I'm curious about Oysterville Sewing Circle. You you explore the characters at two different points in their life, and I know that's something you've done in some other books as well. Uh, Family Tree comes to mind, for example. 
What, yeah. do you, what do you find yeah. in that that helps to flesh those characters out so much? And what's the challenge of writing people at two very different stages in their lives? You're right. That That is a challenge because I'm always drawn to a character, but one thing that draws me is what is the... What is their backstory? Mm-hmm. You know, what has brought them to this pivotal point in their lives where the story starts? Because mm-hmm. you can't write somebody's whole life, but you want to show the defining moments. And so what I usually do when I'm planning a book is I try not to overthink things and overplan things because I like for the, the story to unfold as I write it. Mm-hmm. You know, so I try not to overplan, but I do want to know where it's going. And one of the things that I always, always need to find out for myself as I'm, you know, creating this character is what is her defining moment? Mm-hmm. You know, what's that one thing that um, happens in her life that sets her on this path? You know, just like me as a little tiny kid, you know, wobbling home on my bicycle with the overloaded basket and telling <laughs> yep. my mother these stories. You know, so for Caroline in the book, um, it was, um, gosh, if I'm remembering, it's been a while since I was <laughs> Yeah, years, um, apparently. <laughs> Mom sends her to the store to get some sewing notions or something like that. Yeah. And she, it's just this emporium, and she's completely mesmerized by it, and it kind of sets her on her path. And so that was her defining moment. Mm-hmm. And her um, position in the family. I usually don't write such big families, but I had a lot of um, reasons for doing that in this book. You know, she's the middle of five kids, and so I'm thinking if you're ever going to get lost in a family, that would be the birth position where you could get lost. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's talk a little bit about about the book you mentioned earlier of the Lost and Found Bookshop, which is coming out in July, I believe. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I was writing that, you know, all of last year, and uh, the reason that I picked that book was I wanted, I, I, I had a couple of themes in mind. One of them was elder care. I've been um, um, looking after my elderly parents here on Bainbridge Island. My dad passed away um, with Parkinson's a few years back, mm. and my mom's still here. She lives in a, a retirement home just a couple miles away, and and so I was dealing with that, and I found that while there's a lot of a lot of resources for working mothers and a lot of support and so on for working mothers. It's the working daughters who um, are very challenged. And, you know, I'm talking about the the grown women Mm -hmm. who are looking after, maybe they're looking after their own kids or grandkids or something like that and their parents. And to be called to do that, it's a privilege, but it's also a challenge. Sure, absolutely. Um, I, I wanted to incorporate a storyline like that, and I always give the person, the main person in my book, always gets like the fantasy job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's why you know the main people in my books um, have jobs that I always think that I, w- I would love to have or wish that I was good enough to do, like you know bookseller. Um, Candlelight Christmas, she was a librarian, mm. because I don't consider myself to have a very interesting job. I'm basically just a reporter, and it's very boring. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I try to give the main character, Natalie, in that book, um, the ultimate fantasy job. And then, of course, I had to throw in some much, much drama. Yes, and, yes. Um, <laughs> Yeah, everything, you know, plans change, but I was also thinking, well, it's going to come out in the summer of 2020, and where would I, where do I picture my book tour going? And I thought, oh, the Bay Area, I like the Bay Area. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, and so I, I have, they seem like random choices, but, you know, I've, I've actually thought about it. So I was writing that last year, and mm-hmm. so she has my fantasy job, which is to be a bookseller, and she's got a little piece of my own life, which is elder care, and then she's um, dealing with a huge tragic shock that happens in her life that kind of sets her on a path and so that's sort of how I got off and running on that book and they've just designed the cover um the advanced reading copies are out and um yeah it'll be out on July 7th and what we're hearing from bookstores and librarians is nobody's planning anything yeah (laughs) it's so hard to know yeah and yeah, at, at a local bookstore that belongs to a friend of mine. Actually, you probably circulate her book. Her name is Suzanne Selfers. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. D-L-F-O-R-S. And mm-hmm. she's a children's author. Yep. Anyway, um, she bought a bookstore. And so we were going to have this bit. Well, we are. We're going to have a book launch. It might have to be. Hopefully it won't be virtual by yeah, then. Yeah. So that's that's happening, but uh, you know, things in the whole world, including the book world, have changed a yes. lot. You know, the way that authors promote and publicize. I'm seeing lots of virtual events sure. and and things like that. So fingers crossed that you know we keep our readers engaged. Yeah. Since we've been uh, isolated, stuck home, have you picked up any new hobbies? Get getting into? Uh, I know you can't you can't work in your golf game at the moment, but. <laughs> You know what I'm doing is um, I I have the, the Babbel app, and so I've been practicing my French and Spanish. I oh. used to be really fluent at French because mm-hmm. I live there. Yeah. Um, it gets rusty really fast. So anyway, yeah, yeah, I've been practicing French and Spanish, and um, listening to a lot of new music. Okay. Um, and streaming a series, I, I had read the first book, the first My Brilliant Friend book, oh, um, yeah. Elena Ponte, yeah. and I really liked it, but it was quite dark. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my husband and I have been watching the HBO series that goes along with it, and it's, it's got to be one of the most faithful adaptations I've ever seen. Mm. Like, beat for beat, they follow the books. and Sometimes books like that surprise you because they just come out of nowhere. It's like, you know, nobody's heard of that, that trilogy. And then all of a sudden, it's like everybody's reading it. We couldn't keep it on the shelves. That's funny well, when that happens. it was recommended to me by Elizabeth George, the mystery oh, author. Oh, sure, she, yeah. She lives in Seattle, and she and I are quite good friends. We're actually having a we're having a online a, a Twitter war about what you wear to work. <laughs> oh. <laughs> because I I insist that you only have to dress the top half if you're going to have a video conference, and it doesn't yeah. matter what, what's on your lower half. And yeah. she insists that she can't even think straight unless she's fully dressed. So yeah, <laughs> I'm going back and forth about that. Yeah, and I think I, I think I split the difference on that. See, I'm too afraid that I would like. <laughs> stand up to turn on a lamp or something and, you know, see everybody would see my sweatpants or something if I did that. So (laughs) I think it depends, but it's a weird time. Oh my God. So weird. (laughs) Ready for it to to be over. The novelty is definitely worn off. Yes. And I think people are just ready to to get back to their lives. Yeah. Well, I mean, we we have a kindergartner and, and my wife's an editor, so she's working from home here as well. So the two of us trying to work and trying to do kindergarten is, uh, is a lot. It's a it's a lot. So we're going a little crazy, but uh, you know, can't can't complain. We're we're very fortunate. But sometimes it's just like this must end. <laughs> oh my god! I, oh, if I had a kid at home, oh my god! I'm gonna, I, my my granddaughter's home, and my daughter, um, she's a single mom, and so she's trying to work and have meetings, and and you know, Clara is, is six now, and she's running around and mm-hmm. you know, needing attention, and and 
I can't, you know, normally I, I'll meet them at the ferry terminal and bring Clara over and she'll spend the day with us, but can't even do that anymore because they're in Seattle and I'm on Bainbridge and yeah. we can't. Can't even connect. But well, oh, one thing I did that was a very library friendly thing is yep. um, I got on FaceTime. I think it was either FaceTime or Zoom or something like that. And I read her. I've been reading her like a chapter a day. Oh, nice. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's oh. been. Uh, I think that's been one positive thing that's come out of all this is to see the different ways people can adapt their creativity and still, you know, reach out and and. And connect oh, with the world, I you know, know. It's it's that. Amazing how resourceful we get. Yeah, Susan, I so appreciate your time today, and uh, I, you know, I wish I wish we were sitting across from each other in person, but I, yes. I'm, I'm glad we that we will. could still we will make that happen one day. I Absolutely. Think on, on scheduling that. Yeah. Let's, let's hope for the best. All right. Well, uh, on behalf of the Olean Public Library and in my library, the David A. Howe Public Library, thanks again. I uh, wish you all Here's the best, and hope to see you soon. Take the time, and uh, you guys take care, and I will see you in the fall. I can't wait. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was a fun interview. <laughs> I want to know if you purposely say it's a fun interview every time, or you just have this joy in every interview for you is fun. It's fun to interview people. Okay. I, you, I, don't, I don't say you're being disingenuous. Uh-huh. I just want to make sure. So when you were a small child, okay. maybe in your even up to your early teens, yes. you never imagined... Uh, yourself doing fake in- you you never like practice doing fake interviews like on a like a stereo with a microphone or something or just in your head no i don't think that i did oh well all right neither you, have i you did that yes but huh. normally i was on the other side of the couch you were being interviewed i was being interviewed oh. about show running the 10th season of this x-men that series makes, that i was doing that makes a lot yeah. of sense knowing what a lot I of a lot of you. big things happening in season 10 of the x-men series show show run by eric mickles what can we expect well Havoc is going to cause this some just, trouble. This was just the kind of thing that you would do. Look, yeah. I was I was a teenage janitor. I was working forty eight hours a week. Okay, you just walk around with the headphones. You're you're in your head a lot. It, just interviewing yourself. Just interviewing yourself. Okay. Well, um, I mean, I'd be happy to interview you sometimes. But uh, like you, I did think that was a fun interview with Susan Wiggs. <laughs> okay, it's, it's always interesting to get, to get to the it. author's perspective and just see, you know, where they're coming from, how how they got where they are. Mm-hmm. Something unique always comes out of those yeah. so I, I do enjoy doing that the oysterville sewing circle is our current book club pick her next novel the lost and found bookshop is due out in july of 2020 so why keep an eye out for that we that's this summer <gasps> that's right <laughs> we'll most certainly have the book here thanks for tuning in thanks to our guest susan wiggs eric so long shazam shazam